Hey there, and a very happy Monday, June 28th. It is National Logistics Day, which, as you know, Kelly, is a day that I do not celebrate. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Well, then uh, maybe you should today. Yeah, there you go. I will put the logistical work into logistically celebrate National Logistics Day. It was also National Paul Bunyan Day, but I figured we'd go with logistics. <laughs> okay. Hey, I'm Tommy McFly. I'm Kelly Collis. We love D.C. Tommy and I were first neighbors, then friends, and then we actually hosted a morning radio show together. We've even been each other's in case of emergency contacts. I was your contact, right? Well, I changed it after I got married. I hope that's okay. Anyway, we bring people together, created awesome community moments around D.C., and have been invited to and asked to leave some of the most interesting spots in the nation's capital. We're so glad that you're listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoy some really fun headlines from D.C. and beyond. That was a lot. Let's get started. So today we have a really fun conversation for you uh, with Uncle Wolfgang, Wolfgang Puck. I love it when he comes through D.C. because he does always try to take time to talk to diners and the media and promote whatever it is he's promoting. I think it's about time as well, Kelly. You and I tell the story of the time that Wolfgang Puck got us drunk at his restaurant. Yes, that was after uh, he taught me how to make a souffle for Valentine's Day. True story. We were at um, The Source by Wolfgang Puck, R.I.P., which was a wonderful restaurant in the museum. Kelly was newly single. We did a Valentine's segment with him. Um, I'm sure you can find that in the bowels of YouTube somewhere. And he was like, do you want to hang out? We're like, yes, we do. And so we started drinking. It was gin cocktails, right? I believe so. Yeah. And I don't drink gin. I think it was. And I was, but Wolfgang had made it himself. So I was just like, okay, I'm drinking gin. <laughs> and then all this food came. And then Wolfgang was like, another round, another round, another round. And I think we had somewhere between three and 700 drinks that day. And then as dinner was starting to happen, because people were coming in for dinner, because we had started drinking at two in the afternoon, he gets up and he's like, thanks for coming. By the way, I never drink at my own restaurants. And we were like, <laughs> What? <laughs> so Wolfie was sipping water and Kelly and I were not. Yes. And we told, um, I believe I taught him a couple of new um, slang phrases that are not uh, safe for work or for children. <laughs> a single Kelly was pretty used to at the time. Um, also been a very DC moment at that restaurant because it was on Pennsylvania. You had a lot of like lobbyists and big wigs. Remember Wolf Blitzer walked in. That's right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. It was wolf so. and wolf and a bottle of gin. <laughs> yes. So it's cool that he came back and his new restaurant in DC cut is a very, I love going there. I, I sit at the bar. The crab fried rice is to die for. Mm -hmm. um, it is so great that he uh, has been able to reopen because they had a little issue uh, during the pandemic. Yeah, it's right on the Rosewood Hotel, um, right on Thomas Jefferson in Georgetown by the canal that's reopening, all the things. On 31st. Ah, I mess those up all the time. <laughs> Thomas Jefferson's the other one. Yeah, right on 31st on the canal. That is so true. Uh, but it, yeah, it's delicious weather. Um, also, uh, he made a lot of time. We sat at the um, rooftop of the Rosewood and we chatted over breakfast about his new Disney Plus documentary that's coming out, some really rough stories from his childhood, talks about the restaurant just seen in D.C. and the future of restaurants. Also, I learned a very valuable lesson. 
do not call cut a special occasion place. He was not pleased about that. It is a place that you can go every day for things like burgers or cocktails, or you can also have a tomahawk steak if you want, but it is not a special occasion place that you just take your grandmother to once a year. He was very clear about that. Okay. I, I'm, I'm glad I didn't say that. Just to give you a preview and a flavor, Kelly, of what to expect when you hear our conversation with Wolfgang Puck. Here it goes. How's it going, Wolfgang? Thank you. I'm excellent. Being here in Washington is always a lot of fun, meeting a lot of old friends and customers, so it's really a great place to be. So I am uh, excited. The restaurant Katia is doing really well already. We are back in uh, business. The only problem is we don't have enough employees. So if ever you look for a job as a cook, as a waiter, we are hiring. I was just pouring your coffee earlier. I'm not sure I'm able to do that. I, thought, I was a little nervous. Well, you start as a busboy, I think, uh, <laughs> a few tips, and then you can move up the ladder. Let's talk about Cut here in D.C. Because yeah. you opened up, and then there was the pandemic, and then you reopened, and then there was a fire in the kitchen, and then yeah. you got closed down again because of the regulations and everything. Yeah. How has your team just not lost their minds through all of this stop and start. You know, I really must congratulate Andrew and Evan, our manager, and Andrew, the chef. They did such an amazing job and holding the whole team together through all this adversity. You know, it's really difficult. You know, people didn't know. Do they gonna have a job? Are we gonna reopen and everything? And I think uh, Andrew, the chef, is so talented, but he's also a good manager, and everyone the same thing for the dining room. So I think I have two great people here. That's why the restaurant is working so well, because we have a fantastic team. Well, you mentioned um, needing people to work too. Is it? Cut being a high-end, like special occasion, awesome restaurant. Are not you special that? occasion? But I mean, talking every day is special occasion. You right? can go have a drink at the <laughs> bar, maybe a little ceviche or things like that. That's very true. And then you know, I know it's not a McDonald's. You know, <laughs> we don't call it McPuck or anything like that. So, but I think uh, it's not just for special occasions. It's for every day. You know, you can use part of it. Uh, you come for a drink, or you have uh, a hamburger if you want to at the bar. And or you're gonna have a nice dinner with a tomahawk steak or uh, my favorite, our duck, our baking style duck. It's really perfect. So now, are you seeing getting employees back in the door? Is it is it a restaurant like Cut that's like a beautiful high-end restaurant? Yeah. Are you seeing that versus other spots, or is it just kind of across the industry? It's still very difficult to find enough employees to really do and open up. Like we are not open for lunch because we don't have enough people working, mm -hmm. and I can't open with no no workers. So. I think it's really still hard. I still think since the unemployment checks and the government help, you know, the federal and state help. So I think some people say, you know, I don't going to go back to work. I take the summer off. I go to the beach. I spend time with my family or whatever. I think come September, things will change. Well, let's talk about just your experience through the last year because you're like a global guy. You're always in all the different countries for all your different restaurants. Did COVID shut you down or how, how did you get through? I had to shut down the restaurants, but not me. I just fled COVID wherever it was. Like, uh, I traveled around the world. I was in uh, Istanbul. We have Spago in Istanbul. So I was there last summer. And then uh, I went to London. Uh, we have a cut there, too. So I really never slowed down. You know, I went to visit our children, Alexander and Oliver, go to school in Switzerland. I went to Switzerland. And uh, so for me, I went to the office all the time. So. I think life was almost normal, except it was difficult. Like when we shut down uh, at Thanksgiving in LA again, and uh, we opened just for takeout, 
and I didn't check the P&L and we lost a fortune. I said, oh my God, why did I open up for that? You know, I wanted everybody to work. I want people not to be stranded because at that time, you remember from Thanksgiving to, I think when uh, the inauguration and even afterwards, there was no federal help for employees. Right, so right. I said the right thing to do is try to keep everybody, but we lost a lot of money. So. Now, as we're looking forward to the whatever comes next in the summer of the Roaring Twenties, what are you seeing for Cut? What are you seeing for this place? Well, I really believe Cut here in Washington is picking up already. You know, last night uh, the restaurant was totally full. Today we are sold out. So I think it's really uh, going back. People want to go out. You know, we are not used to being at home all the time. We are not used to warming up food from takeout. or We are not used to cooking at home all the time. We are used to be social. We want to be around people. You know, even if you have the best food at home, and if you're just with you and your husband or your wife, then uh, after a while it gets boring. Yeah. You know, if you go to a restaurant, you see the noise, you see the ambience, you feel the ambience, you feel you're getting served, you can choose what you want. Mm -hmm. It's a totally different experience. I think people really want to go out. And I think they appreciate the restaurants much more now because they took it for granted. What is the most affordable thing you can grab and what is the most absolutely extravagant thing you can grab here at Cut? You know, what extra extravagant doesn't mean it has to be the most expensive thing. But, you know, if you're a simple guy like you, <laughs> you come to, to the bar and have uh, a cocktail and a hamburger or a glass of wine or a glass of champagne, and uh, maybe a ceviche or something like that. So you can nibble a little bit, or you come to the restaurant and you have a, a delicious baking-style duck, or you have a big steak, a porterhouse, or a tomahawk. We have some amazing chocolate leeks, or right now asparagus in season. We even gonna have, in the honor, you know, they are doing a biography on me, a documentary. Yes. So we're going to have Wiener Schnitzel on the menu because that's my childhood favorite. <laughs> I feel like you and I have made Wiener Schnitzel a dozen times over the years. Yeah. Now, about your documentary, it's going to be on Disney+. Plus. What was that like going through that process? Because you talk about things that you've never talked about before, Ex and you talk all the time. Yeah. <laughs> no, I cook all the time. You talk all the time. <laughs> you talk the talk, I walk the walk. Perfect. That's true. That's true. That's true. See? What, what was that like for you, telling you those know, stories? They're it very was personal. very difficult to revisit because my first 14 years in my home, my stepfather were, was really impossible. He was drunk, he was bipolar, he screamed, he abused us, and uh, so it was really a bad experience. When I was 14, I left my home and moved 50 miles away and started an apprenticeship as a cook. There, after three or four weeks, the chef came up, we ran out of potatoes, the chef came up to me after lunch service and said, oh, we ran out of mashed potatoes and out of potatoes, it's all your fault. And this, and uh, I was 14 years old. I didn't know how many potatoes they needed, whatever. I said, you're fired. So he fired me. It was, I didn't know what to do. I said, shit, my father told me I'm gonna be back in months, you know. He said, oh, you're good for nothing. You're not gonna stay there and everything. He always told me I'm good for nothing, so. Each time there was something not the way he wanted, he said, you're good for nothing, get out of here, you know. And then uh, when that happened, the chef fired me and said, I cannot go home. I'm not going home. That's the last thing. So I went to where uh, the, in that city, there's a big river going through. So I went on a bridge. I said, I will jump in the water before I go home. So I stood up there as a little kid, you know, I was 14 years old. 
and uh, uh, stood and looked down and looked down and thought what will happen, you know. And finally, like the light went up in uh, my head and I said, I'm going to go back tomorrow and see what he's going to say then. So I went back and the apprentice who was ahead of me was so happy to see me because he didn't have to peel potatoes and <laughs> onions and everything, you know. He had to do it already for six months or so. So he hid me down in the vegetable cellar. And I was peeling potatoes and doing all that. And he was bringing me a sandwich or a little soup down there. And then I sneaked in and out of the hotel like when the chef wasn't there. He said, okay, you can leave now. The chef is gone or whatever. So then, then uh, uh, like after two weeks or so, the chef comes down and sees me there in the cellar. And he grabs me and said, try to take me out. And I screamed and I said, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. And... Uh, then he called the owner of the hotel, and then the owner said, all right, if he's so uh, insistent that he doesn't want to go home or whatever, let's send him to the other hotel. They had another little hotel and restaurant in town. So I went there, and there we had a lady chef, and she was a little nicer. She said, you know what, just do what, you, what they tell you to do and don't make any waves and everything will be fine. So because she had kids too, so she yeah. was a little more understanding. So I did that for three years. But still, I didn't know if I'm gonna cook for the rest of my life. Like I had a friend a few years older than me. He was a truck driver. He was driving a truck and he was getting paid a lot of money. So they said I could be the co-driver for a while and then I get the truck to drive too. And I was thinking like, that's what I'm probably gonna do. But then I went to France and then I went to a restaurant called Beaumanier in Provence. And there Raymond Tullier, the owner, was the most amazing guy, you know. It was a three-star restaurant, so the way he cooked and everything, and I remember him bringing Elizabeth Taylor into the kitchen and Pablo Picasso into the kitchen, and the French, wow. the French Prime Minister then Pompidou came into the kitchen, and I said, I want to be like him. And he was the first one who really trusted me. I was 19 years old. I was working next to him making the sauces and everything. And whenever he took a day off, whenever he went somewhere, he said, Wolfgang has to be here to do the sauces. He's the best one at that. Meanwhile, we had 20 other cooks in the kitchen, and he really thought that I had a certain talent or something. And that made me feel really good for the first time. That's incredible that those people along the way changed your path completely. Totally, totally. And so when, to me, I always said, you know, he, he was really my mentor. You know, he passed away a long time ago. but. Without him, I don't know if I would have been a cook or a truck driver or something else, you know. So I think for a lot of young people, you know, they really need a mentor. And they need somebody maybe who can inspire them. And then you become just as passionate. Like Raymond Tully at Bomania was so passionate about the food, about the ingredients. We had six gardeners. They brought the smallest green beans in the springtime or peas or the best strawberries and melon. So we had like the freshest, best ingredients. They harvest them in the morning and then we cook them. So we didn't have to do that much to it, but the quality was so good. And he was so passionate. And I think that rubbed up on me. So how did you, this upbringing change your perspective as a father and as an employer? Because those are kind of the same thing in a way. Yeah, not totally. I think, first of all, it was always difficult for me to find balance in life. You know, I was so obsessed with the restaurant. Yeah. I remember in the old time, I said, you know, the restaurant is 
I'm gonna spend every day at the restaurant. When I open Spargo, I spend every day at the restaurant. It's only like since the last maybe 10, 15 years when my wife Galila told me, you know, Wolfgang, you're gonna have to enjoy life too. You have a family, you have responsibility. And now I'm really in partnership. We work together with Galila. So she takes part of the burden of me and does things like when we build a restaurant, she chooses the designer. She watches over the design, the decor and everything. We just started a new company. Uh, hopefully uh, it will take off and be great. And she's the CEO. So now I have somebody who actually works with me and has my back 100%. How is that working with your spouse? Because a lot of us over this last year have been working from home with our spouse in a very like tight space. Yeah. So, any advice for people who are doing that or how's it going? Well, I think it's better if one person leaves the office and not <laughs> to be together. I think, so she's the boss, basically. Yeah, spend the time in the bedroom together, but not in the office. <laughs> That's sage advice, Wolfgang. That's okay. sage advice. Okay. So we're seeing now with uh, the Biden-Harris administration that they and members of the administration are hitting the D.C. restaurant scene again, which is great. We've seen them show up at Le Diplomat and all kinds of places. Yeah. Um, is Cut ready for a presidential or a vice presidential visit? Absolutely. I think we are totally ready for them. And uh, I think Andrew and Evan here, they are doing such a great job. So I would not worry it. If they call me up, the president or the vice president is coming, I wouldn't worry. You know, I think uh, I know they are very talented and they do a great job. Do you have plans for that sort of thing? Because when you owned the source, there was politicians and famous people in there all the yeah. time. What what happens like in back of house when it's like the vice president's coming or the first lady's coming? Well, everybody is nervous because security comes and you know they go through the whole thing, checks out that there's nothing suspicious in there or whatever. But I think for us, we are used to serve people like that all the time. I still remember when Biden was vice president and he came to cut in Beverly Hills. And he was so friendly with all the employees and everything. And generally, when they come to a restaurant, they're on the best behavior. They say hello to everybody. So I think it's really uh, great for all the employees because they feel good. They said, we served the president. We cooked for the president or the vice president or the secretary of state. Jose Andres. Obviously, he's like the most famous thing next to the panda here in D.C. And yeah. D.C. is very proud of him and his work. Um, what do you think about, like, feeding the world and, and chefs doing good and chefs being frontline responders? Well, we were always involved. And I think when I started Spargo 40 years ago almost, so I told everybody, we have to be interested in our community if we want the community to be interested in us. So the first year I opened, I did a big benefit with chefs. All chefs, that was the first time chefs got together like I remember Paul Prudhomme and Jeremiah Tao and Alice Waters and uh, Mark Miller and uh, Larry Fortune from New York. And the proceeds went to Meals on Wheels. Awesome. You know, so we started that in 1982. Now, Jose Andres does it on a big scale. You know, he mm. gets government funding, so he <laughs> doesn't have to go out and raise millions and millions like we did. But I think it's really amazing how much chefs give back, you know. Yeah. If everybody else, the lawyers, the artists, the actors, the musicians would do the same thing, I think we could feed a lot more people. And I think uh, in a way it's almost sad to see how much waste we have here and how much hunger there is. Or, I don't know, here in Washington, but in LA, the homelessness is crazy. Yeah. It is so sad 
to see that, that we are in America. We are the richest country in the world. And we cannot find a way to help these people. And I think, you know, some of them emotionally are not stable, some of them mentally are not stable, some of them just got thrown out of their house because they couldn't pay, they couldn't get a job. Mm -hmm. So I think we should give people the minimum uh, living standard, you know, that they have somewhere a soup kitchen where they can go get their meals, they have somewhere a bed where they can sleep and take a shower. Because mm -hmm. if you live in your car in a tent, how are you going to find a job? It's impossible. Right. So I think. When I look at our politics, that we cannot figure out how to take care of the people at home. And I look at the mayor in LA, I live in LA. I said, you know, if he would be a businessman, he wouldn't even get the Z, you know, he would be- <laughs> As a grade? As a grade, yeah. <laughs> I said, you know what the most important part is? Mm -hmm. Taking care of the people and find the solution. They all have the big talk, but no solutions. Even Gavin Newsom, the same. He talks and talks and talks, but no solutions. What do you think the future of restaurants are? A lot of people learned a lot of things. They pivoted, they did all the buzzwords this last year. What do you see bringing from that pandemic time? And what does the future of dining out and restaurants and hospitality look like? I think we are creatures, we need we, our species. You know, we need companionship. Mm -hmm. We don't uh, want to live alone. We don't, even with another person at home, you know, we need this whole feel of being part of a community. And I think restaurants are a central part for that, really, you know, from whatever, from the least expensive one to the most expensive one, uh, depends on your socioeconomic status in the world. So I think restaurants, good restaurants will always be there and are a necessity, mm -hmm. but things have changed too. When you look, for example, if you have a family with two kids, you want to go four people, go to the movie, get popcorns, get Coca-Cola, whatever you get, it's a hundred bucks. Yep. But now you have Netflix, you have Disney Plus. Well, you can get DoorDash or somebody deliver some food for you, watch a movie at home, mm -hmm. and it will cost you maybe not even half of that. Right, right. So it's, uh, I think that because of the pandemic will stay, you know, people will stay at home too and uh, uh, get food delivered. I think the food delivery system, obviously that had such a big boost during the pandemic, totally. you know, and I think it will go down a little bit because people go out again, but it's here to stay. How was it making your food? Because the food that comes out of your restaurants, it's always beautiful and like well-appointed and it's plated. How was it for you having to put it in a box and figure out how to make that same thing happen? You know, it was exciting the first two weeks and say, okay, we're gonna feed everybody. And then I said, you know what? I am not born to do that. You know, this is not what I wanna do to put everything in containers and then send it out. But we did a few interesting things where we sent people, like let's say you wanna make a, a mushroom risotto. So the people got the rice, the chopped onions, garlic, all the ingredients oh, for the risotto. And then we do cooking classes online and people really love that they I have people now come to the restaurant and said, Oh, I can make the risotto as well as you do. I said, Well then go make it. I said, I did it already with you on Zoom. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. And as we wrap up, you're in DC a lot for your restaurant. Yeah. It's really great to see you here. Thank you. I know you spend a lot of time in the restaurant. Yeah. But when you get a minute to walk around the city or you get a minute to experience DC, where can we find you? Well, so far you can find me on the terrace here at the hotel, <laughs> which I love, especially at night, you know, have a drink, but mainly down in the restaurant, in the mm -hmm. kitchen and in the dining room. And I think for me, when I come here, 
I should go out more often to see, to experience the city, but I always feel guilty. And I said, well, I have to be in our restaurant. What about if the guests are looking out for me and I'm not there and they see me in another restaurant? And I remember one time at is that your ride? It's your ride. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're picking Tommy up. Oh Look at God. that, wow. Tommy's helicopter is coming. The view of the rooftop, my goodness, you get to see all the different shoppers. I know. So one time at Cut in Beverly Hills, I remember I go to a table to say hello or whatever, and they, the customer looks at me and said, it's so nice to see you here. You know, I went to Gordon Ramsay's restaurant like three times and I never saw him there. <laughs> And I said, you can't because Gordon Ramsay is here. Look, two tables over was Gordon Ramsay. And so I brought the guy over to say hello to Gordon Ramsay. It was so funny. And, said, and he told him, he said, why you're not in your restaurant? And Gordon just looked at him. That speaks to the quality of your food, too. Yeah. Chef Wolfgang Puck, thank you for joining us. Wolfgang Puck, man. I feel like that guy can tell stories for days. He's seen a lot of life. Yes. And um, I will tell you... Um, I love not only his the crab fried rice at, at Cut, but his namesake Pinot Noir there, also very good. <laughs> Reasonably priced and delicious, so I appreciate that, Wolfgang. Fun little fact. Um, when, the, when the cameras and the uh, audio stopped rolling, he also told us a story that I can never do justice about getting a photo with Ariana Grande and then his wife wondering why Ariana Grande was texting him. And then also, um, back in the day, uh, him making Mickey Mouse pancakes for Kim Kardashian. Oh my God. See, when, this is this is what I mean. This when, this guy's a treasure. When she was like nine. So we're gonna have to revisit <laughs> that next time. Wolfgang Puck comes back to cut. And what is really cool about him too, if you hear that he's in town, he is in his restaurant, as he said. So that's the time to make a reservation because he will he will make time and he will find you. Yeah, he would. I saw that he autographed a bunch of the menus of people that were surprised and that were in there having dinner. And he, there's Wolfgang working the restaurant and, and, you know, in the kitchen, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. And the team that's here all the time, all year round at Cut is amazing. So they're, they do a great job. And it's also fun to watch, like, the chef and the team of Cut, like when Wolf's in the house. <laughs> There's a lot of yes chefs going on. <laughs> um, I bet. And by the way, um, if you would love to watch uh, Wolfgang Puck documentary, it's on Disney Plus right now. And we would love for you to give us a five-star review because, my goodness, if we're not bringing you five-star content, I don't know what is. <laughs> you can also go back and watch past episodes, listen to past episodes of The Tommy and Kelly Show anywhere you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next time.